Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. You are listening to a podcast by Pastor Eric Seepin and Pastor Andy Littleton. If you enjoy Faith Over Breakfast, we encourage you to rate it on the Apple Podcast app, on Spotify, or Google Play. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Uh, welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. <laughs> My name is Eric Seepa, I'm pastor of the village. Across from me is Andy Littleton, hello, hello. and he's pastor of mission. And Andy, you brought Tim. Tim Sheridan. Yep. Just, and he interviewed us. Yeah, he kind of did interview us, which, I, which I, I like. We got to talk to him a little bit about his book. Tim, the title of the book? Becoming a Missionary Church. Becoming a Missionary Church. Tim is is the lead for church planting for Resonate Global Mission. I am employed by them. Uh, I have no employment with them. You have no employment with them. <laughs> Maybe I can get like um, a title so I can just be part of the club. Yeah, you can have one. Oh, you're always welcome. Yeah, okay, you, you send a me a title. <laughs> we'll, we'll think one up. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, but Tim Tim is uh, has just entered into this role, is going around meeting people who are involved, came to Tucson to meet me. I got to introduce him to Eric. And uh, so... Tim, we talk about his book, and then he asks us about church planning, which is great. So, if you want to, if if you're from our communities and you want to get a little of the backstory or some of the influences, great, great one to listen to. Yeah. If you're not and you're just thinking about pastoring church planting, I think there's some good stuff in there too. And yep. then, and you'll learn about a great book and meet a good guy. So, enjoy cool. the podcast. Thank. Hey, Eric. Yes. Th- this is the one of the most shotgun. Well. These are these are all pretty shotgun for us because, as everybody knows, yeah, this is just it's like we sat down, the coffee got poured, and we go, "Hey, what? So, what have you been doing?" Yeah, but today, uh, today I brought a friend. You brought- did bring a friend. Did you listen to the last podcast? Nope. No. Wow. So <laughs> we went we went rogue, and you didn't even listen to the podcast. Nope. No, I did not. There you go. All right. So, uh, how rogue did you go? I don't remember. You don't remember. <laughs> it's been two weeks. <laughs> Tim, Tim, did you listen to our last podcast? No, no. Did you even know? I didn't even know it existed. You don't even know who Eric is yet. I don't even know Eric, no. Yeah, t- so this is the true breakfast where it's like, hey, Eric, yeah. I brought a guy named Tim. Here he is. Yeah. And you go, Tim, who? Why, who? Wait, what? What? Yeah. Hi, Tim. Hey, Eric. So tell me a little bit about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you here? Why are you yeah, so I'm here, first of all, because I was in Phoenix. I am one of the people connected to the Missional Training Center in Phoenix, the oh, Surge okay. Network. Right. Yep. And, uh, but what drew me down to Tucson is meeting Andy. So I just started three weeks ago a new position with Resonate Global Mission. Oh, wow. I'm the church planning leader uh, okay. for Resonate for the CRC in North America. And Andy is someone I was said, you got to meet Andy. So okay. I took the drive to Tucson this morning All right. and met Andy and it's been a pleasure a joy cool and then I said you got to meet Eric and so here we are here yeah. we are Great. so like are you over like the whole western United States or the entire United States yeah so even bigger so all yeah so I'm I'm the church planning leader for resonate we have 14 regions across the globe oh okay so yeah. globally you're... so six North American regions eight international regions oh wow yeah there oh, you go. You're like the big guy. Uh, no. He's <laughs> basically the Apostle Paul. No, no, not at all. <laughs> well, I heard he was writing a book. And, yeah. Or has written a book. You've yeah, written a book? I have written a book, yeah. Here, no. here's, yeah, here's my thought really quick. I, I, want, I want you to tell us about this book because we have people from our communities listen, but we have some other people who tune in every once in a while, and, and I might share this out with some other CRC folks. So I think it would be cool to, to chat about your book really quick. Mm-hmm. And then we both planted churches, and you can just why don't you just hit us with whatever you want to talk about with with planting churches after we talk about your book? Sounds great. Okay, yep. good. So you and you were just describing. So what's the, first of all? What's the title? Your book is with Mike Goheen. Yeah, so Mike Goheen and I co-authored the book. It's okay. coming out in July. With oh, so it's not out yet. It's not out yet. Baker Ooh. Books picked it up, so they're all publishing right. it. It's called Becoming a Missionary Church. There it is. Cool. And what we're doing is putting in conversation Leslie Newbegin, yes. who we both learned a ton from, and people who are just standing on Newbegin's shoulders and saying, hey, we've learned a lot from him. We want to run with his vision. And so those are like people that were in the missional conversation yes. for years, uh, the emergent conversation, mm-hmm. and also Tim Keller, Center Church, okay. 
um, that whole network of churches and their theological vision for ministry. So we're just doing a deep, not a deep, deep dive, but trying to dive into those conversations. Where do we see good fruit in advancing New Begins vision and where would we want to see more of that vision of fine fruition today, if that makes sense. So now, Tim, really quick. So yeah. for the for the church listeners of ours, for yep. the, our folks from our communities who are going, Leslie, who? Right. Who is that lady? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, so so tell us who tell us about Leslie Newbigin. Yep. Give us what what would be if you had to synthesize, which is probably hard, but his yeah. vision. Yeah. And then what other people have done with that or yeah sure yeah explain that yeah so leslie newbigin was um an anglican i believe by training uh from the uk who had a call from god to go to south india and that's where he labored for most of his most of his life he yeah worked as planning churches building unity actually forming the church of south india so just had a he he believed deeply in his bones that the unity of the church Mm -hmm. and the mission of christ were pretty connected and so to neglect unity yeah. would be a travesty to the gospel. So what he does is he eventually retires. He goes back to the UK and he's a bit uh, shell shocked, not just like culture shock, which is pretty typical right, for missionaries right. who return, but more around like, hey, this church in the Western world is deeply, deeply compromised with its culture yeah. and has lost confidence that the gospel's true, that people need to hear it and have narrowed their mission in a like they've lost the scope of what God's doing in the world like this gospel is good news that God's going to restore all of life and make all things well and and if the church had confidence in that story and in that gospel the church would have influence and would have a, a deep impact even when it finds itself as we do on the margins of society less relevant right um and yet, you know, it's it's a deeper thing than just losing that relevancy for new beginnings. Like we've lost confidence that the gospel is the true story of the world. And he's in this unique position in having declared the gospel in a in a context yeah. in which he's seen this this needs to um, this needs to be brought into India, and then coming back to his own context and going, we're not even doing it here at home. We're not doing what That's right. the missionary encounter isn't happening. Here yeah. At home. Yeah. And so what you have is you have like he, in those final years of his life, he starts speaking in North America. He s- yeah. speaks in Australia, New Zealand and the UK. And these movements start to emerge of people that are awakened again and saying, yeah, yeah. you know what? We're living in a missionary situation. Like mm. we need to recover a, a our confidence in the gospel. We need to recover a sense of mission to our local place. Missionaries aren't just people we send from North America to other places. Like we're in a missionary situation and we have a lot to learn in this. So they really were helped by that. And then there were other people like who would identify in this emergent conversation who were just frustrated with like, that was a bit of my generation. I'm a Gen Xer, like frustrated yeah. with a, a wave of like church scandals, like yeah. as we see again, like abuse of power and authority and um, sexual misconduct of church leaders, a loss of confidence in the institution. And, and, and also just deeply like attuned to this conversation and culture that's challenging a lot of our assumptions and mm-hmm. becomes identified as the postmodern conversation. And, and so these guys are like, and gals, like it's a wide, broad movement are, are helped also by Newbegin to say, how do we think about this generation of people who've, who are kind of done with the church yeah. and are drifting away? And what does it look like to encounter that part of yeah. our context? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's that's another piece that we try to look at and, and try to listen from and try to understand. So we think that, again, I would put it this way. I feel like some of those patterns have unfortunately repeated themselves in the last decade. Yeah. Um, so once again, we're seeing kind of a post-Christian, post-evangelical deconstruction of the Christian faith, people that are just abandoning the institutional expression of the church, losing confidence mm-hmm. in leaders, faith leaders, um, for good reason. There's another wave of scandals and abuse of authority and power that we've all witnessed. And so I think these conversations are hugely relevant today. Yeah, yeah. I, I was first introduced to Leslie in I think '99 by Alan Roxborough, and uh, I was trying to think. I always forget his name. The other theologian who wrote a, a theology of community. He was up. Oh man, if I'll remember his name in a minute. But uh, yeah, maybe that, Craig Van Gelder. Maybe uh, no. 
No, he's dead. He died. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was really sad. But anyway, I'll remember his name. He was in that conversation, in the yeah. in the emergent conversation when I was in that. But yeah. Nice. Nice. I was so. just telling Tim on the way over that uh, he he in the book, they explore a little bit about the emergent conversation and then ke- the Keller conversation. I said, here at this table, you're probably more shaped by that emergent conversation. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I'm probably more shaped by by Keller's Yes. work and and version of that yeah how Kel- would you how would you define Keller the, is later but yeah well right i would and, say I was, and i'm younger than you <laughs> I, I would i'd more shape, i mean i knew the emergent people and some of that you know like new kind of christian was a big deal for me hmm. um but uh more the missional conversation yeah um because i was at the roots of when that word was being developed and stuff mm-hmm. but yeah definitely. yeah tim how would you describe the the different ways that new biggins vision was carried forward by those folks i mean there's i'm so there's so much diversity i'm sure but if you were to yeah describe that for folks what what would be the the different streams and how did they capture it and what did they miss yeah i think i'll just highlight a couple things so the missional conversation really wrestled deeply with what does the local church expression look like when a missional understanding like so if we recover the sense that we're missionaries all of us mm-hmm. in this place called north america the west however that's defined what does church look like in light of that reality so a lot of the conversation became around church structure church leadership um different ways of um equipping leadership and discipleship around a missional vision and that's mm-hmm. kind of where the conversation and that, in a lot of ways, that was making sense because a lot of the early people in that conversation were leading churches that were really struggling and dying yeah. and and losing members, and so it became, in some ways, kind of a a bit of a church renewal conversation in in some sectors, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. yeah. and so, yeah, like so, one of the people that you would have met, Alan Roxburgh, would even talk about that it it, it kind of hit a bit of an ecclesial, like he talked about it hitting kind of a cul-de-sac, like mm-hmm. so much focus on the church. And making the church work and fixing the church or renewing the church that it lost some of the wider scope of what Newbegin was on about, which right. was, hey, this good news has a lot to say to the culture and how we live as Christian people in every area of our life. Um, so, yeah, and the emergence, they they really tapped into that side of it, though, I think. Like, they just said, hey, here's someone who's helping us make sense of how our Western culture, our Western perspective is being deeply challenged today mm-hmm. and and how quite frankly the the modern mindset has infiltrated the church and and not always in a way that's been fruitful you know created hierarchical structures and power control sort of mindsets and has really not allowed the gospel to really run um, and its encounter with culture among among the whole body of believers you know if that makes sense so mm-hmm. There was a lot of kind of decentralizing that leadership and structure. And so the the emergent conversation really bore fruit in a lot of just experimental communities with different models and styles of leadership and, and less hung up over some of the modern structures and institutions. And I think that was helpful because I think that that kind of work still has to happen today. Yeah. You know, and I think for Keller, it was... Um, <sighs> Keller's harder to quickly define. Yes. <laughs> so, but, you know, I think for him, it was a vision. Around, like, he would put it this way, actually, and he did. He he was called by God to plant a church in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So downtown New York City, an unchurched place at the time, um, among a community that, especially in its early years, were largely just young adults, young professional people coming in. A lot in, of singles. A lot of singles. Said, yeah. yeah. And... He found in Leslie Newbegin someone, he would even say like the only voice really at the time that was helping him as a local pastor figure out what it meant to plant the gospel in a post-Christian city like New York yeah. City, yeah, you know, and, and to shape people's imagination around what does it mean to follow Christ in all of life? Mm-hmm. So, you know, for Keller, integrating faith and work was important from, from day one and equipping a church planted in a a center city with a lot of urban professionals, how do they bear witness to the gospel and their vocation? And it was that part of Newbegin's mm-hmm. vision that I think Keller's really ran with and born, it's, and it's born a lot of good fruit. I mean, it's part of what I've spent the morning with Andy and I'm encouraged by what God's doing here mm-hmm. in Tucson and, and just raising up a collaborative network of people who are committed to this place that want to see the 
work for the good of the city and and recognize that all of our vocations are part of the mission. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's. And interestingly, with Keller, you were talking about how he, uh, this is earlier when we were just chatting, but that there was still a lot of the kind of in the more individualistic gospel that, that pops up. And I was just thinking about he, he took, in a way, the work of Newbigin, but also took a lot of cues from like Martin Lloyd-Jones and Dick Lucas. And mm-hmm. and then, but, yeah. so he's got Harvey Kahn and Leslie Newbigin, and then kind of these like classic uh preachers you know lloyd jones and dick lucas and guys like that and and kind of mashed those approaches yes together that's yeah he, he did and not without tension and right I, and i think you know that's one of the things we highlight in the book we have deep deep fondness appreciation for for tim and the work that god's done through him and and yet we see this tension very much aligned with what you've just said run throughout a lot of his writings his preaching his ministry mm-hmm. and and we just I guess at the end of the day, we don't feel like that tension is necessary. Like, you know, the gospel is both this grand story for what God's yeah. doing to reshape the world. And it's good news for me because I'm rescued from my sin, you know, and these yeah. things don't have to live in tension. And that's part of what we are trying to tease out as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Eric. Yes. Ask him. Ask him. I, I, yeah, I, you got in, something? No, I'm enjoying the conversation. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I like, didn't. I didn't get to be in the prep. You know, the prep conversation between the two of you. So I didn't really get the. I'm just enjoying the conversation for, and I, and I'm remembering because you know I, I I met you know Brian McLaren and Mark Driscoll and Alan and mm-hmm. a number of the people in '99, mm-hmm. right when things were at their tension point, so you could watch sort of the the missional reform movement kind of intention with what was beginning to be uh, the emergent movement with Doug Padgett and others. And so I was part of that. I had my foot in both of those worlds. And some of those guys were at least colleagues, if not, you know, at some level friends. Um, Mm. And that, uh, so, you know, Leslie, I remember never hearing of him. And then, you know, everyone's talking about him. And I remember getting, uh, I don't remember which was the first book I read, but I'm like, wait, this book is old. Yes. <laughs> and this was in 99. And yes. Reading it, you know, and I think, did he join the, the World Council of Churches or something? Like, was that, I don't quite remember the whole narrative, but. He did. Yeah. And that was, so there was, and that was part of the story. So he was. He did return to Western Europe occasionally for the work with the World Council of Churches. So he, it wasn't as if he just shows up in the UK right. after retirement and his eyes are open. Like he sees that starting to form in his time with the World Council. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the conversation around the gospel, you know, growing up um, as a navigator kid and then into sort of the. Uh, the gospel as the bridge illustration or the fourth right. one-on-one one discipleship right. and yeah. one-on-one discipleship yeah. to being exposed to a more complex, what I would call a more complex, more contextualized gospel mm. in the sense that it, it was less of a, an illustration that I was living with and a, and a forgiveness of my sins, just even personally a more complex thinking about who I was and how I would bring the kingdom of God to bear in every little space that I entered in. That was not a conversation I heard growing up in the church about mm-hmm. me being a missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, evangelism, right? but they for somehow were not linked to being a missionary and to being mm-hmm. a, a completely embodied follower of Jesus wherever I went, like that the gospel touched everything I did. Yes, and I th- like for me, that was huge. I grew up with in a tradition that, you know, quite frankly, was shaped by Moody's imagination that like this planet is burning. It's, it's right. going down and God's like, uh, we're on a, we're on a rescue mission. So yes. let's get everybody on the boat yeah. before the ship sinks. Right. And that was the evangelistic urgency. And, and to me as a young person, it just, it meant for me, most of my life was irrelevant to Christianity yeah. and therefore Christianity was irrelevant. Right. And it wasn't until I encountered a, a perspective on Christianity and scripture and the gospel that was this whole of life vision mm-hmm. that God's up to something bigger to renew this world and he loves it and he, and he cares for all of it. Right. And you know, like that was life transforming for me. That was compelling. Yeah. I'm I, realizing in myself an interesting piece of of ten, as you guys are talking about your journeys, I grew up, I was, I was telling Tim, you know, like we were poor, but we tended to go to the wealthy church. But also another piece I, I forgot to mention was 
my dad grew up Lutheran, but my mom came to Christ in the Pentecostal church. So mm. we tended to look for a moderate Pentecostal church wherever we would go because my mom needed that. And my dad was like, as long as it's not too crazy, I'll go with you. And interestingly, when you get into those, the ones where the expressivism isn't as as strong, you tend to get a lot of prosperity gospel. Mm. And oddly, I think, so the whole get everybody out of the boat thing was tempered in a positive way for me. I've never thought about this, but by the prosperity gospel. Because hmm. there was, you'd, you'd have the like, the, you know, the, the earth's on fire, but then these other people were like, they're like, start a business, you know, be successful. There's, God has good things for you in this life. And I would wrestle through with that, like, is it okay to make some money? Is it okay to uh, start something that's good and effective? And uh, I, I never did like the, the motive of just getting money. I rejected it pretty hard. But I wonder how much that tempered that whole get, get everybody off the boat side of me and mm. oddly like prepared me for a reformed uh, approach. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I, yeah. I've never thought about that before. That's good. There you go. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me, and you're, you're a Gen Xer, so you'll kind of maybe resonate with this, is the reason The Matrix is over there <laughs> is that I think that was the first time, I mean, it all lined up with uh, the whole emergent movement, but mm. to see that the, the world in its arts cry, the gospels kind of, they can't help themselves. They, right. they cannot help but express this beautiful yeah. narrative. And being a missionary is to call that out. Never thought about I mean, mm -hmm. these were just like mm -hmm. revolutionary ideas for me at the time. Now I think that, are, that people talk about that a lot more. But nobody was talking about that 21, 22 years ago. You're right. Yep. And uh, that, you know, and that's, that's a big part of where I, you know, discipleship has shifted for me in helping people understand those things and engage in them and see themselves as kingdom people. Yeah, great. So, so Tim, you probably have two two people completely unshaped by your book because it hasn't released yet, but um, who've attempted to plant missional churches. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. What do you uh, pick our brains? Do ask us what you want, and tell, and then you can critique our churches right before we get off, and you can <laughs> you can say, "Here's why this isn't going to work." No, yeah, Eric, how long have you been doing this? Twenty years. This is a village's 20th anniversary. 20th anniversary. What was yeah. last year? Yeah. 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 So, Eric, I'd just love to hear about how Village Church has taken this good news story and tried to flesh it out in this local context and allowed this local context to inform and shape the way the gospel gets expressed here. So, I'd love to hear that story. Wow. Well, um, it, it it has as any church who's missional has a lot of evolution kind of aspects to it and since i started it when with rod when i was 28 one of the things i mean i think it's good to have young church planners because they do believe that they somehow can change everything like there is that energy <laughs> that ambition that, that ambition <laughs> yeah. and a thought that you just have god's sovereignty on your side somehow in a way yeah. that's going to just make it all work <laughs> yeah. but uh um so i you know there was a lot of like excitement and creativity and so one of the things you know that in our in the beginning we really wanted to be in the midst of the art center hmm. we wanted the people in our community to be you know mingling and engaged and participating in the different arts and provide space for for the commun larger community to ha to practice those things. So by the second year, we had rented. There was this old YMCA downtown, um, and it was an art center. And we managed to rent the bottom. Hmm. Um, and so we just started engaging. We had people playing in bands, you know, in the city, in downtown. And we were. I mean, I was always in bars, and you know, it's nice when you only have one little kid and. <laughs> life is not as crazy um so on that end we were we were engaged I, and and on and i was on the streets a lot talking to people um and then i moved into a community house too hmm. it was far away from downtown but that all that was all we could afford mm -hmm. um but then we so we then we just started inviting everybody into our house um so we would feed people on tuesdays like i don't know sometimes our poor neighbors we would have like 50 60 people eating at our house um, and what we told our people was just invite your friends, tell them it's dinner, it's free. 
And when you have, when again, when it's a young church, single people, they, it's a free meal. Mm. They don't care if you're a Jesus person or not. If it's <laughs> going to a house to eat, so that that became kind of the way we engaged the larger community. But while we were doing that, I think a lot of it had we had to do a lot of work as to like what does it mean to be a Christian and be creative. And what does it mean to live by a set of values in front of people? Hmm. Um, and how do you, um, I mean, there's a lot of things that you didn't expect. How do you care for your children in the midst of what I would argue is more dangerous spaces? Um, you know, things that real well, missionaries, foreign missionaries have to deal with all the time as they bring their children into mission fields. Hmm. We were having those conversations, um, which put us in some ways at, at odds with some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who seemed more inclined to want to protect their children, right? We were trying mm-hmm. to figure out how do we have them on mission. And I think we made a lot yeah. of mistakes. I mean, I think my kids who are who love the church and the village is their place would tell you that there was a lot of painful choices that got made for them along the roads that they didn't really like. Sure. And, and so it was a, a lot of hit and miss in that part. But what what, what we tried really hard to do was be in the lives of the people that God called us to and allow that to define who we were. Um, and so, I mean, we made some, some particular choices about like music we would play. So we kind of threw out all the music that the church was playing and decided to write our own and allow the community to impact Mm. what our sound would be like and how we would engage in worship, um, and let the community sort of define that. Uh, so that was one part of it. We, when we would, preach we decided to like flatten it out we took a lot from doug paget and flattening out the stage and allowing there to be a lot of conversation mm-hmm. so sometimes you know so it was a lot of i can remember one very vivid moment i'm preaching and uh you know because it's such an open you know conversation there's this guy whose name was chicago and he i remember this guy he's a little <laughs> crazy guy he would wear a football His name's chicago mm-hmm, yeah. a football hat yeah. big chain yeah it's on and and <laughs> He was so he was like a Tucson icon. I, I don't remember him from their church. Just oh, from Tucson. Just yeah, and he's, seeing him. he's sitting in there, and I can remember just looking at him like, you know, big African-American guy, football helmet on, <laughs> not all well. And then he just yells out like, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but just that there was a lot of freedom. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, community was a huge thing. Feeding everyone after service downtown on Fourth Avenue was a big part of who we and hasn't changed. Sure, um, but also I think what's we've allowed to happen is to let God and the community move us. So that mission of being downtown hmm. stopped being our calling as people became Christians, got married, had kids. We were looking for a space, ended up in a neighborhood. So now this neighborhood becomes more who we are. People started moving in closer. I would say over, I mean, it's been slow, but over the last five years, a lot of the neighborhood has started coming to church um, and engaging with us as community. Um, and who we are and what we look like has changed. And so I think a lot of part for us of embodying the gospel is saying, no matter who you are and no matter where you are, you have impact on us and how mm-hmm. we think about the world and how we think about you and, and what the needs are. And so... That's a big part of where we've come and mm-hmm. what it looks like for us. And so it's it's pretty fluid <laughs> yeah. in, in those kinds of ways as to what we'll be doing and how we'll be doing it. But That's great. I, I sense that you were about to say the word mistake, <laughs> but you held back, and, and uh, which is great because I, I, I'd love to just edit that word out of our vocabulary. Um, right. I guess I'd want to reframe that and say, so along the way as a church planner, we experiment all the time. We just right. try a bunch of stuff and we're always learning whether the stuff is bearing mm-hmm. fruit. I mean, it's always going to bear some kind of fruit. And so we pay attention to that. We adjust. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I'd, so I just love to hear a story, maybe, maybe try hard not to use the word mistake, but, but a story of just learning, like where you said, Hey, we tried this and it wasn't bearing the kind of fruit we were hoping for. And, but we learned a ton through that. Um, so yeah, a story like that would be great. Ooh. Uh, we try that. It didn't work. So I, I'll have to tell you that one of the things we have as a statement in our church is unhindered by quality control. <laughs> Great. So it's not, it's, it's very difficult to say there were mistakes. Um, I think, gosh, 
I think some of, I mean, we experiment so much. So I, I think like for me, I think when I think about mistakes, it's more involved in how I engaged the world myself with my children. Okay. Um, and just like, but you know, cause even then there were experiments for instance. Sure. Yeah. Feel free. We were, you know, big time. Like we are missional meaning, okay. Are sending our kids to the local school. Hmm. We'll be in the local school. We're going to engage there. Well, the local school is like a D-level school. So it's like the lowest you can get before they close you down. And so we were there. It's a really rough school. My kids are very soft-hearted kids. Um, and so, you know, they got bullied. They, they, my daughter ended up engaging, you know, meeting people who are not a great influence on her and her struggling. And that really began, began some of her identity struggle that she wrestled with early on in her teenage life. And so... Like when I look back at that, I'm like, I was just so gung ho hmm. to want to be missional that I kind of left. I didn't think about my children as much as like, okay, you're just coming along with us and this. Mm. And to you know, to I think to my credit, that's what I learned in my home. My parents were very much that way, hmm. and um, and I went through public school, but I, I realize it's a lot different than when I went through public school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there was just some stuff that I, I didn't watch out for that I would, I should have. And yeah. so I think that was, but you know what? Again, it's their story. Right. And they have grown a lot. And because my daughter has walked through some really hard places and has most of her friends are not Christians, she is super missional hmm. and she understands their conversations. But then that's there are a lot of hard conversations that she has with me and my wife about just her own wrestling and struggling. So it's like this probably wouldn't have this very missional heart had she not walked that story. But at the same time, I don't like to see my daughter have to wrestle with what she's had to wrestle with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that would be one just personal thing. I think one of the mistakes that's not a mistake because you said, but one of the things I would interpret as a mistake, mm -hmm. but with just an experiment as I think sometimes we are so keen on allowing people to engage in our community, um, that we end up getting burned in ways that are, you know, really hard for the larger community to like experience. Mm -hmm. Um, because we, are so long suffering in a lot of things mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. and I think what it also does you talk about that tension I mean it, theologically you know our church I, I'm ordained in the Christian Reformed Church Rod is like other co-pastor Mark is but our church because it's so theologically broad our, our leadership is they they can't come under the full reformed space and so it's very hard um, and some of that's just because we're so varied in People are coming from so many places. Yeah. 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 And yeah, just, you know, I think that the gender conversation at the moment is really a difficult one mm -hmm. um, and has been hard for us, mm -hmm. <laughs> as, 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 you know, because we tend to sit out on the edge there a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Thanks for being vulnerable with us. Yeah. And I mean, you're reminding us that like in that, as church planners, like our families are all in on this journey, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And for good and for for struggle. And, yeah. and I've witnessed both in my own family as well. So I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Andy, I'd love to hear. So part of what I heard from you is we met literally over breakfast this we morning. Did. And here we are kind we of did. doing virtual breakfast on the <laughs> <Yeah>. mic. <laughs> but um, is, is a love for this place and mm -hmm. uh, that's rooted in your own story as well. But um, how, how would you... Um, as you've planned, as you've been a church planner here in Tucson, how have you unwrapped the gift of the city mm. of Tucson, and how has that shaped the way you've planted and thought about ministry, even beyond broader than a church plant? Yeah, I think I think for me, one of the one of the key things for me is I left. I, I was telling you I went and did some schooling uh, in inner city ministry in Chicago, and at the time I was done with Tucson. I've, I hear this all the time, by the way. You probably do too. Of people when they're young, they're just there's nothing to do here. There's this place is dried up, and I'm I'm going to take off and go somewhere interesting. So that's I was there. I, I left. I went to Chicago. Um, you know, study urban ministry, go change the world. And I mm -hmm. went and realized that I was just like such a blip on the map because Chicago's huge and, 
the all the issues at play there i'm reading books like american pharaoh and i'm going i don't even know what i don't even know what this means and that's about the mayor mayor daly there and how Mm -hmm. he how he shaped the city and but i'm going i didn't even know this was happening i don't know anything i don't know anything about anything and then uh so that was that was humbling and but one of the things that it made me realize one some of the people there had a lot of questions about tucson they saw the our proximity to the border they saw a lot of the social stuff that was going on is very important and they were asking me questions about how this stuff is how the church is engaging with this in tucson and i, I was like i don't know hmm. actually i had no idea and so i started to think about that um studied uh, asset-based community development there had to do some projects and i chose to do the projects um, with tucson in mind Hmm. and actually ended up wanting to come back and uh and i think never looked back from there kind of realized i I really like tucson i get tucson i know more of the stories of tucson i could learn more but i but i i realized i wanted to be here so our church is very shaped by probably a few things one would be um i think i think keller is a big a big factor for me hearing how he talked about things like faith and work and stuff like that were, were new to me and helpful surge. Um, also is, I, I was one of the early participants. I've, I've gone through it many, many times and that's shaped me. So Mike Goheen, friend of yours, the, those storyline of the Bible. Um, I was reading biblical theology in seminary at the same time. And I was like, wow, I'm getting a double dose of this. This mm. is cool. And then, uh, but then throw that asset based community development piece mm. into where something was built into me that, um, what you want to do is is know a community, ask a community what their felt needs are, and start there. So, so then I was also aware of all the church planning movements, Acts twenty nine, and all this stuff. And I had one little critique coming out of um, seeing urban churches engage with their communities and asset based community development. As I I thought these churches are imposing a model that worked in one place, and they're mm. trying to impose it all over the world. Right, you know, yeah, yeah. and sometimes they're even imposing the same pastor right. all over the world, and that that like franchising it, franchising it, and that didn't sit well with me. Yeah. So I never. It's funny. I still to this day have never heard an entire Mark Driscoll sermon. Um, I I know, I know. It's a good. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's another podcast for another day. Yeah, it is. Oh wait, that one's already been done. It's we've even done it. Yeah, yeah. but the uh, but I but I didn't. For some reason, the whole you know Acts twenty nine and th- those types, even even some of the other church planning movements, something about it didn't sit right, and I didn't hmm. really go. I didn't go there. Hmm. I didn't enter into that ever. And so, so I had in my head, you gotta you gotta know the community. So when we planted our church, one of my first questions was, I was like, I don't I don't want us to to go. What type of church do we want and impose it? I want us to ask the question: If a church were to grow up out of us and mm-hmm. out of our friends, what would it look like? Yeah. What would, what would we do? Um, and so we like the village, you know, chose to do, we have, um, we, we eat together. That's, mm-hmm. that's like a key element of every single service. We always, we eat together. Um, we meet in the evenings, um, because we're the type of people that get together. And like I, I said, when, when do we ever wake up at 9am <laughs> and all get together for breakfast? Never. So why would we? Why would church look like that? It would. We get together in the evening. Right. That's what we do. So it, even little things. So you have children. <laughs> <laughs> and we, yeah, that, that's we're still there. You guys do two things, two services yeah. now. But um, but we even just on yeah on the basics, and then. Well, I love that. Like you're fitting into the rhythm of the community you're involved in and not trying to impose your right external rhythm. And we assumed that our little planting group were the experts on their friends. And right. we would just ask those questions and mm-hmm. then, um, to try to have the discussions that our, that our friends and neighbors would have to reference, uh, cultural moments, uh, of interest to them. Mm-hmm. Um, to even even in the way that our we put together our space or treated our property. We, so we've had community meetings, um, that we wanted to learn. So we, we moved into the neighborhood. We bought a, bought a property about three, four years ago. And when we moved into there, it was like the first order of business is to start to meet and get to know the people in our area and ask, what would you, um, what would you want a church to do? And so we reached out to the neighborhood association. In fact, the, the head of the neighborhood association wrote back and said, we'd really rather not have a church in our neighborhood actually. Hmm. 
Um, and proud to say, excited to say that I now talk to the, mm-hmm. to the head of the neighborhood association. I've taken her out to breakfast, um, have spent a lot of time. And now when we send them something that says, Hey, we're doing something in the neighborhood, they, they send it out and cycle it out and share it. So that's right. a huge win <laughs> to me is they now see us as a partner in the neighborhood, uh, who cares about the neighborhood and their story and their well-being. So we, we've just done a ton of initiatives. Uh, one that's in the works right now is, is a green stormwater infrastructure grant that we initiated for the neighborhood. Um, we've, so, so a lot of the work that we do ends up being about taking care of, of our, our neighbors. Um, and so we, but then we kind of have, we have this distinction like church is church and we get together and we worship Jesus, the risen savior very explicitly. Yeah. And then when we are doing, um, engagement with our neighbors, we're just all about that. Mm-hmm. We're not, we kind of understand that there's that we are a worshiping community of Christians. People are welcome to come in and, and observe that. But then when we're not doing that, we are just really serving our neighborhood. So we have people involved in the local business association. Mm-hmm. We engage with the neighborhood association, um, you know, whatever, uh, community events, like what we talked about with Colby, like the bikeability stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to host, uh, things. So we, we, I mean, we're engaging with kind of people and even starting to get into higher levels of government, which is exciting to where we're, we're reached out to, uh, when they need, um, community outreach done and stuff like that. And that's taken years to develop, but at this point we're beginning to be a trusted partner, I think. And that took just a ton of time. But that all came from the conversation of, of that it's that asset-based community development yeah. kind of meets church plant. And then the exciting thing because of the meal and the hospitality and the fact that our space is even designed to be kind of a Tucson place yeah. um, is we do see a lot, of, um, a lot of people who aren't believers who are just kind of dipping their toes. We say our model is uh, like to be an outpost of the church. Mm-hmm. So we understand our connection to the church, but we're placing ourselves intentionally out on the missional edge. Um, and so we talk about that. We try to speak to our people about that. But one of the things is like, everybody's welcome to come in and watch and, and, mm-hmm. and even participate. So we had a, a guy who ends up, uh, friends with somebody here at the village. It turned out in conversation who just, he was like, Hey, uh, I've had some kind of drug induced spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. I talked to my buddy. He said I should come to church with him. I'm here. Great. And, Friend of the, who, and he was just, I don't get too know. specific on here, yeah. but, oh yeah. but I'm the, trying to re- but, but he, <laughs> and then in talking to him, he, he knew somebody here at this church and, and Great. he's, yeah. he's like, I'm not a Christian, but, but I don't know, I'm going to try this community out. And mm-hmm. it, it's, awesome. and we see that we, especially in the last two years, um, we've been seeing that a lot of, uh, of, of even <laughs> seemingly devout atheists are going, I want to yes. sit with you all. And I think and you're actually, seeing that too. well, there is a, just as a side, there's a, there is a philosophy group yeah. that I think ha, that, that has a number of people from yeah. your church and our church and non-Christians in it, or at least there's yeah. connections between our two churches. That, That's great. And I don't think this, this, this fine. guy's not there, but, but I know which one you're talking yeah. about. Well, I'd and love, so. like if you're, I'd, I'd love to shift that a bit and just pivot. So like we've all come through this pandemic, mm-hmm. um, yes. All kinds of other stuff, like not the only public health crisis, mental right, illness, right. and drug, and yeah, not just drug induced yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff, but like overdoses, um, sure. deep political polarizations yes. that you yeah. guys have had to weather oh, for sure. Um, like just the the um, the troubling persistence of institutional racism, mm-hmm. and so if where are you guys at, like locally in Tucson, um, what's God been up to these past couple years? A time of it seems like great disruption yeah great travail struggle um i heard someone recently just invite us to say you know what it, it, we're all if anything the last two years has made us all church planners again yes sure. oh it's yeah that's, that's so yeah true. speak into that like what's a Re- really quick i wanted to throw in because i forgot a key piece of our strategy at mission we're yeah. all i have a bivocational team of five so we're a small church but five staff members who are all bivocational and all engaged in the community as well so from a leadership standpoint we're kind of doing the things that we're asking that's people great. to do so yeah. that's that's other that's important yeah. But, yeah. but i totally resonate with what you're saying and eric why don't you start with that wow um well i i would say for me uh the pandemic 
<laughs> when it first started, actually, I was like, wow, this is great. I mean, not because, you know, I didn't know any of the implications, sure. right? I, and, you yeah. know, you're terrified of everything. But I also had to just stop. Hmm. So for that first month before really George Floyd happened, oh, yeah. I, I was actually relaxing, enjoying my family, having they were stuck with me. So there was that first part was actually really comforting until it all sort of exploded. Um, and, and George Floyd was really, really hard for our community yeah. because uh, like many communities, there's some polarization, but our community tends to be a little bit left of center in its political space. And so uh, it was difficult for them to have to wrestle with it apart from each other. Mm. I think that was hard. Mm. I think the other thing that was very difficult is we have enough of a uh, minority community in our church that they were viscerally experiencing all of this. And there wasn't really an opportunity other than me being able to go to individual places and Mark and, and Rod to talk to people, a communal way to experience yeah, things. Yeah. And there was a lot of struggle as to how we would respond. Yeah. Um, and we did, and we and people weren't happy with it. But um, and I think the the thing that was, I'll tell you what God has done. It He re it really set a space out for us as leaders that we're going to reshape the way people understand themselves, um, at least teach it and engage with people. And we had a lot more time. I had a lot more time to sit down um, and kind of lay this out and then speak it into a camera and engage people. Um, and I think that was really helpful to begin to develop more of a teaching about what we think and how we're going to approach these issues. Because I think for us, the village is, I mean, our motto is healing the city one person at a time. Hmm. And a lot of our community, and, and they'd be honest about this, struggles deeply with, I mean, the village is the last stop. If this does not work, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving society. If I'm not a follower of Jesus, like this is it, I'm going to try this out. And otherwise, you know, heck with everything. Hmm. And same for people who are following Jesus, they end up, okay, I've been burned so deeply at church or hurt or not listened to. And so this is my last spot. I'm going to try this out. And if it doesn't work. So there's a, a lot of hurt and a lot of, it's a deeply relational community. And, um, so like trying to just work through all of that is in the context of what was going on has been hard. And I yeah, kind of lost yeah. my train of thought there, but um, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I think what it has done though, as, as we've come back in, mm-hmm. it has tightened our community on mission. Okay. Um, all of a sudden people's neighbors and their neighborhoods became a high priority, at, you know, and we were able to sort of reinvigor, our community, because what happened, I mean, this is typical of churches. They go through these life cycles. Yep. So all of a sudden, if you have an explosion of children, parents are like, don't feel like they have much more time. Sure. Even for their neighbor, you know, or, yeah. or yeah, even yeah. their own. And so all of a sudden, like it's children, children, children become the center. Our children become the center. Yeah. What our children are doing. And I think though the pandemic was difficult, it really, in some ways, helped people see their neighborhoods and how they're connected to them and get mm. them excited to the point where we, they started praying for their neighborhoods in a more, you know, direct manner. And it has become part of our identity over the last year as we've come back together is that we are a community that prays particularly for the needs of each space. Wow. And so they have to know those things. And so people are getting to know their neighbors and having them over for dinner in ways that they weren't mm-hmm. at the same level. And so that's been really exciting to watch just our church kind of get, you know, this energy about, Oh, like I have an impact. And, you know, since, you know, our community, there's at least half of it has been with us for 15 years. So they remember sort of this life cycle. So having it sort of revived in them, yeah, because one of the big things we did in our community, because in Tucson, the average stay of someone who doesn't live here, wasn't born here, is three years. Like to stay in the city, because mm-hmm. yeah. they're running away. Okay. This is a right to work state, so you come here to get reestablished hmm. and you leave, or you come to the university and then you go to a better job because jobs are not great here unless you're an engineer. Oh, and remote work has might change that. We'll remote see. work changed, we'll see. but what we mm-hmm. said to all of our yeah. people at the beginning was. Make this your city. We're asking you to actually root here. You know, we 
talked about Jeremiah 29 and we're yeah. like, this is the make gardens, you know, have babies, give your kids away marriage. And people took it seriously. So then to 15 year late, years later, be like, oh yeah, let's, this is what we're about. Like we've gone through this life cycle and um, I think they're excited about that. So I think that's been a big transformation. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is we're like our church. I mean, there was always a rule and this is probably something we had to repent of was we don't talk politics <laughs> because it's too right too much and we've watched it happen in churches where it just separates yep, yep. well guess what we have to talk politics yeah, yeah. so we have to learn to listen yeah and i think that has been really big because you have you squirm mm-hmm. you know you squirm yeah. <laughs> a lot absolutely <laughs> yeah. so i think listening has been a big part of what we've been learning as a community to, to sit in the like mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance. We talk about cognitive dissonance all the time. Yeah. Cause yeah, if you can't sit in it, then you can't bring the gospel to bear on things. It sounds like you have this, like this history and tenacity to create safe space. Yes. To wrestle together, which yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. And Eric, Eric grew up in the home of, of Christian therapists, counselors, and, yeah. and you see the impact of that yeah. on his church. Sure. Um, and, and it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah probably a complicated thing, but there's yeah. a lot of, he's essentially discipled his church to do soul care with one another. Yeah. I, I mean, Dr. Larry Crabb is like family friend. And so, okay. I, then parents were trained under him in the eighties and yeah. I've been connected to him over the years. And so that's great. Yeah. So that influence, he, he yeah. and Dan Allender have had a huge influence on our church. That would yeah. be a big, a big difference between our two churches is how, sure. how much you're up for therapy on a given Sunday. <sighs> <laughs> Are people a little less than, little less <laughs> than yeah. the village? Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna um, get away with just I'm doing well or everything's good. Somebody will sit you down and make you talk about what's good or what's going just on. Tell me life. more about that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sitting, so. Have you sat in that yet with Jesus? <laughs> those are those are the kind of those things the you'll, invitations you'll hear on a regular basis. So, That's yeah. great. <laughs> which is which is good. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah thanks. I mean, I hope everyone's listening is just taking that in a minute. Like if we could just pause before we pivot, mm-hmm. like, like in the disruption in the pain, the travail, God's doing anything and actually bringing transformation yeah. and missional renewal. Like what a, mm-hmm. what a beautiful story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Andy, how about you? Like, yeah, we had, we have a similar, um, I think a similar experience we had. Similarly, we had a, a very diverse group of people, their church backgrounds were very different, um, political leanings, very, very different. And so this actually in 2020, I also, I thought we'd navigated it pretty well. And then in 2021, I think people had been marinating on some stuff and, (laughs) and as they began to be able to sit with each other more, they, they, a little more of that kind of bubbled up and we saw some, and we lost some folks and I'm, I'm glad to say that in our in our world, I would say that our church was like, if I had to say on the political spectrum, it was like a 10, 80, 10, where there was probably 10% leaned highly left, 10% leaned toward what, what you might call like a postmodern right. And then the 80% in the middle were willing to work it out. And um, it felt like we lost the 10s, kept mm. the 80. Uh, we did, we had a a church plant in conversation, um, before the pandemic. And we ended up deciding that as we were returning to church together, it was actually the right time to send that plant because they had really bonded in another part of our city. Um, that was a scary thing to do because it's like of all times we've just lost some people. We haven't been together. We're really going to send out a plant, but I, I really do think that was the right decision. Um, it, it's, yeah, it was hard to do, but I think it was it was good, and I think that's a good group of people who are really engaging their community, um, taking some of the things that we believe in and, and living yeah, them out up there. Yeah. But um, at the same time, so so those those were scary things. Like, whoa, some people who have been really key people aren't here anymore. Mm-hmm. But in the last six months or so, our church has felt the most true to the sense of call that we've had that it's ever felt. Um, the people who are there have been extremely I'm just like catching them doing what we've instilled mm. I'm catching people saying things I'm like we've been talking about that for years you do understand it <laughs> um, and and they're they're engaging with those people who 
you know, whether it's in their work, they're seeing the, the connectivity of their entire lives to the gospel. I'm just, I'm hearing those stories. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing people bring people toward Christ. Um, you know, whether it's just personally sharing or going, look, come to my community with me. You're going to like it here. And so I've been, it's kind of like 2021 was brutal, um, of just a lot of kind of relational pain. I think mm. my wife and I probably took the brunt of it. Um, and our other, other leaders, um, and pastors, but I, I know my wife and I took a, a hit, mm. but, um, just, just having to have those conversations, seeing people we wanted to, to reconcile with each other, refuse to, to do so was hard. Yeah, um, but at the same time, as I look back now, I'm going, I think that, that the majority of our community was, you know, has been absorbing some of this has stuck it out and, and is and is actually even maybe more free now mm-hmm. to like run with that vision. So um I, I would never want to say I'm glad for the people that left. I'm not. I, we miss them. Um some yeah. I, I even hope might come back. Uh but at the same time I feel like the group we have now is very in. Um mm-hmm. and they see it and they want they want to um they want to take the gospel out in all these different ways and and ask more questions about how it how it transforms them, uh, what it means just for, for cities, for communities, for flourishing, not just for, you know, their ticket to heaven or whatever. So, right. so I'm, 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 I'm very, I am very encouraged. And I think that, um, that, I mean, we, we had to clarify too, for ourselves, some of our vision and some of our priorities, which I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing I realized that I think some of the people that disengaged, I hadn't led them well in our approach i think that uh i i see that i think if i'd if i'd been more clear i just wanted people to come Hmm. you know and i think that's where a lot of planters are i just wanted people to come i just wanted i wanted people to like me i wanted people to like our church versus saying here here's our approach and it's okay if you're not into it um i think if i'd been more clear we probably would have seen less yeah. frustration. And honestly, I think I hurt some of those people in not being as clear, hmm. um, because they had to later go, Oh, what, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna go sit with those people and you're not going to like criticize them. I'm going, no, no, no. We've never been out to criticize. We're actually trying to bring these people near to Jesus. I'm not going to criticize them. Hmm. And I don't think I was as clear as I should have been hmm. early on, on that sense of call. Yeah. 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 So, but but I'm glad to be learning how to be more clear, That's, lovingly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. Uh, yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, I mean, I'm hearing in that just, uh, again, like seeing what God's doing, like to yeah. refocus, like, no, this is what I've called you to do and who yeah. I've called you to be. And to trust that, to lean into that. Yeah. You know, and, and it, uh, yeah, like I, I'm looking at this, uh, image in front of me and uh <laughs> you know just that gratitude like th- like look at what god's done yeah through this time right the time yeah. of, of refining the time of pain but yeah but to be back and in, in dialed in again on mission and this is what god's doing yeah. um i don't know how long breakfast on the mic goes for breakfast on the mic that's We're probably what time is it? i think we've gone slightly over when you said you needed to be done oh, what time is it? Don't have my phone hey i don't have my phone around but maybe one last. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One <laughs> last thing. Um, Go for it. Yeah. So I would love. So one of the one of the things that we're trying to learn at resonate with all of our partners around the world is how do we how do we cultivate the discipline of discerning what the spirit's doing mm-hmm. in our local place. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear from each of you as we close. Just sure. something that you've learned around like discerning what the Holy Spirit's up to. Yeah. Well, I, I can speak to that because that's a big deal at our church yeah, on how we approach that. So there's a couple things that we do as a community. And I, I think maybe just to backtrack a little bit. So Leslie Newbegin, I, I was influenced by him in that I, I think I read, is it this, what's the book with man in it? Uh, oh, goodness. It doesn't matter. I think I've read but that somehow one too. Leslie introduced, I got, as I was going down that track, I read um, Celtic, The Celtic Way of Evangelism. Same here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of transformed my understanding of the church and how it looks. Hmm. And a lot of parts of evangelism in that 
context or in that book talks a lot about listening to the spirit together mm. in kind of the context of, of what's happening in the community. So what we, we developed a thing called Trinitarian prayer mm. and we use it to listen to the spirit of God. So what we do is we have once a month, we, the people can sign up to come be prayed by the elders, prayed for by the elders and the elders will listen with them to the Holy spirit. Mm. Um, and as a leadership team, We'll take this practice together for God's guidance on things that we're going to do. When we went to two services, we had our entire community of about 80, 90 people do this. And so what we do is you you sit down and you begin to pray by addressing the Father only and Mm -hmm. doing it in two ways. One, just an adoration for who he is and for just the grandness of who God is. And then then really engaging him as a child with no filter of just asking for what you want. And as you kind of make that, and we usually do this in the context of some scripture that we're, we're kind of setting ourselves in, and then you make a transition to speaking to Jesus, and you confess your sin and lay it out before him, and then you really accept and acknowledge that he is the one leading the mission, and that you actually don't know what the mission is. And so there's the questions that you lay out, like, what are we... Where's Tim going? What's happening at Resonate? What is it that you're doing that you want him to join you in? Hmm. And so you begin to pray through those things. And then we just have people sit. We usually have them have a notebook or something. Hmm. And for maybe, depending on how long the period of time is, uh, 15, 20 minutes. So you just sit and you write. And usually we just address the Spirit of God and say, okay, Holy Spirit, you've been groaning with us. You, You know the heart of God. You are God. So just tell us what you want us to hear. And then you just begin to write. Maybe scripture will come up. But the idea is like God created your brain, so he's going to engage you with your brain, and your yeah. brain hears things. So yeah. write them down. But in community, we can say, well, that's not in scripture we, because the Bible, we are all under submission to scripture. So if we're talking about things that are outside of scripture, then no, that's not, that's not the spirit of God. Um, but let's just listen. And what's powerful when you do that in community is that sometimes, a lot of times people hear all the same thing. And you just mm. hear this loud, this is what God's doing. And usually it is completely opposite of what you thought was going mm. to be said or had an inkling of that. And so that's one of the ways we listen for sending people off to like we just sent, a, we're sending a couple off to seminary and they came and they sat with us and mm. And they submitted that vision to our leadership and, and we prayed over them and, and listened. And it was powerful for them to, because they get a very prophetic word. Like they were told, like, you, you need to go and here's what's going to happen. Hmm. Here's the picture that God's given. Here's the scripture that you need to take with you as yeah. you go. Those, so it's just, you're just, you know, like when you hear it, you're just almost weeping because yeah. there's a tangible, like, uh, awareness of God's spirit. And it's beautiful in a community that's really bathed in scripture. Yeah. Because then, you know, the Holy Spirit brings scripture to mind. He's not bringing, you know, absent, you know, just like random thoughts. Scripture becomes the major part of the the dialogue, even if you're bringing in metaphor mm-hmm. to, to help yeah. people. Um, and it's cool to see the people with the gift of prophecy, actually their gift raise up in a community that doesn't have, you know, we're not... I mean, I always say we're Pentecostals with seatbelts, but we're not even that, <laughs> right? You know, we're, we're like Pentecostal. We're not even that, which right. is, we'd like to be that. That's yeah. where we're at. That's great. Um, and so that's, Pentecostals that's how we... Pentecostals with five-point harnesses. Yes, with five-point harnesses. Five point, great. Um, so, yeah, so that's how we really, even in a missional sense, like, yeah. I mean, we do that for our neighborhoods, you know. That's like, great. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks. By the way, Five Point wasn't even referring to Calvinism. I know. That's just, <laughs> what, that's just, what, uh, oh, that's just what racing seats have. Yeah, but, that's right. Um, <laughs> right. But look at that. <laughs> look at that. Yeah. I would I would just tack on. Honestly, I take a lot of cues from Eric on this and, mm-hmm. and even want to implement more of what they do. We've we have adopted a version of Trinitarian prayer that I think we, we use in – we really lean on the leadership of our elders who – pray a good chunk of the time that we're together these days Mm. um our deacons utilize trinitarian prayer too and and take a similar approach i'd like to see more of our community involved actually even hearing you say that i was like yeah that'd be that'd be a good practice to open up to our our broader um community and i might even just go implement some of that soon um, because I, I see the value of it. So, and then the other, the other piece I like, which I, I can see the influence of your family. Like there's a lot of writing and listening to God yes. and Eric's mm. parents. And I've, I've been, 
um, counseled by them many times, uh, his parents, and that's been refreshing and helpful. Um, along, you know, especially in a discerning community, which is what they do. They allow others to listen into what you think you heard and, and give input. And, uh, and so we've done that, um, that in like separate venues, but I think I, I like that. I actually, I'll just say, I think you're better at, at doing that than us. And, uh, I want to keep learning from you. So that's you great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for, this has been rich. It's been wonderful. Tucson's a great city. <laughs> God's up to some great things here. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming out, coming around. Thanks yeah. for hanging out with us down here. So we appreciate having you on. And uh, so I'll, I'll wrap up the podcast here. If you uh, if you enjoyed this, you can always rate us. You can always yeah. email us with a question, faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com. We love that. And we'll do a little promotion here. Because oh. we, we, if you email us with a question, we send out books. Oh. And we sent out your book. Your book's getting published when? In when July. We, July. July. Yep. Right, if you send us a question, when that book comes out, we'll send you the book. Hey, look, hey, at, look that. at that. I wow, like that. Nice. I like that. All right. Well, Tim, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Yeah, thanks. You've been listening to Faith Over Breakfast with Pastor Eric Siepen and Pastor Andy Littleton. Please share us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.